welcome. You're listening to Raven Debriefs. I'm your host, Susan Smitten. Today, as part one in our series on Indigenous food waste, we're talking with Jess Hausty from her kitchen in Bella Bella. Jess shares with us the story of her community's Granny's Gardens, a food sovereignty project that is rooted within the traditions of the Haltzak Nation on British Columbia's central coast. So my name is Chiwahila. My borrowed name is Jess Hausty. Uh, I am an outgoing elected tribal councillor with Haltzak Tribal Council, and I'm the executive director of Cux Project Society. So, you know, we've been doing food security work um, in the form of gardening, both at our field site for our organization and in the community since around 2012-2013. I think the real turning point in terms of um, seeing a really huge uptick in the number of people participating was when we started to reframe the language we were using around those programs and started talking about gardening as an ancestral practice. I know for me, uh, reflecting on how I grow food for my family and how much of the knowledge of how I do that actually did come from, you know, my parents, my grandparents, elders in the community. You really start to realize that, you know, of course, of course our ancestors had deep, intimate relationships with the places in our territory that sustained them. And of course they had deep, intimate knowledge of the systems that supported our communities to thrive. And a big part of that is um, nurturing and tending to plants. And so being able to think about um, learning to grow food and learning to be more self-reliant um, within our food systems as reclaiming an ancestral practice, I think really resonated with a lot of people in the community and certainly has been a really grounding um, way of framing it for me. I love wild greens and I think that's you know been one of my favorite things to be able to harvest uh, with my kids and um, to be out having you know nettles and going through the meadows and you know just adding so much nutrient dense green stuff to our meals that way um, you know the the return on it is so immediate it's just instant gratification and once you start to realize how common those food plants actually are all around you you realize you can you can walk anywhere and find food in the territory, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. A huge part of our identity as Helsic people comes from how we interact with um, the ocean and with marine species that we rely on and that we uh, take care of. And I think one of those really deep relationships is with herring. Um, for those who aren't familiar with our harvesting process. Uh, people set lines of either hemlock trees or different types of kelp in the water at spawning time and you know it's an it's a no-kill harvest so we are able to pull those lines of kelp or, or pull those trees from the water after the spawn has happened leave an appropriate amount in the water so that the eggs can can hatch and the populations of herring can remain stable um, but we're able to harvest those herring eggs without killing the herring in contrast to the commercial kill fishery uh, which scoops all of the herring. There's always been debate between 
Helsic and other indigenous managers and, and leaders and DFO over what is allowable in terms of those traditional practices. I mean, I think our relationship with DFO has always been fraught on that point. And there have been so many attempts um, for as long as I can remember to regulate us off of our territory and away from our resources. And one of those flashpoints here has certainly been around the herring spawn on kelp. And that is an issue that went to the Supreme Court through the Gladstone case, um, fighting for our right to sell that commercially, as we've always done. There's always been an economic element to the things that we harvest um, that has been pivotal to our relationships, you know, trade-based relationships with other communities. And that is a case that we won. It took a god-awful long time to settle. Uh, but there is recognition now that our people have always sustainably harvested according to our own practices and processes, not just to sustain ourselves, but also to maintain our trade relationships. That is a huge economic driver in our community now that really supports a lot of families who still practice that commercial spot on kelp work. For a long time, there's been this weird narrative that nations are in silos and we don't interact with each other. And I think it really comes from that sort of divide and conquer mentality that the federal government and you know Western society often have when it comes to indigenous people. But the reality is there were deep relationships and there are deep relationships across nations and across communities. And I think one of the really fundamental ways that those relationships were formed and maintained was through food systems. You know, there are resources that we have access to here that our Newhall relatives might not or our Haida relatives or even, you know, deep inland. And there are resources in their territories that we love and we don't have access to otherwise. And, you know, those relationships never died, but I think there's also a recognition that we need to make them stronger again and think about how we can um, create new mechanisms to support um, community members who want to participate in cross-community trade. fall of 2020, our organization completed a community food security assessment. And one of the things we were asking people about was um, how they felt about localizing our food economy. Um, how would they feel about bringing in meat products or produce from the Bella Coola Valley? How would they feel about um, having support in the form of, I don't know, refrigerated trucks on the ferry or some sort of help with transportation to be able to safely participate in cross-community trade of ancestral food resources. And there was resounding support for that. I think there's, you know, this huge recognition that people want our food systems to align with our broader values around um, sustainability, a low carbon footprint, not taking more than we need and, and doing what we do with love and connectivity. You know, nobody feels good about uh, buying apples that come all the way from New Zealand when we could be growing them in our community or, you know, trading our relatives in New Hulk um, to relieve the, some of their excess fruit that, you know, creates bear issues there. Like there's just so many deep ways to build social connectivity um, around food that I think people are really waking up to in beautiful ways. The potatoes are a funny story. I mean, I our office in Bella Bella is right down on the water by the main dock. And uh, 
One day I was working in my office and a gentleman came off a boat and he handed me three little purple potatoes. He said that they had come from Haida Gwaii uh, and that he thought it would be great if we grew them here. I have no idea what his name was. I, I don't know anything about him. I haven't seen him since. Um, it's sort of like someone wandering in and giving me a packet of magic beans. I planted them the following spring and three potatoes turned into two dozen potatoes and then two dozen potatoes turned into I think nearly 70 uh, that we pulled this fall and I'm really excited um, this spring to be able to distribute seed potatoes to a number of households in Balabella uh, that originated from those three little purple potatoes that came from Haida Gwaii and it is I think just a really lovely um, unexpected way of affirming our, our peace treaty between our nations and strengthening those connections of just knowing that you know, our relationship with our Haida relatives is very nourishing to us and it's literally nourishing in the sense that we get to grow food that originated in their homelands, in our homelands. You know, our organization, Cox Projects, has been doing food security work and gardening work since around 2013. That's the point when we started to rebuild our community programming facility out on the land in the Quay River watershed. And as we were doing that work um, to rebuild that facility, we wanted to be really intentional about creating lots of space to grow food, um, partly to keep our costs down so that we could you know, produce some of our own fruits and vegetables to feed to our participants, but also because it felt like a really nice teaching space to be able to build some hard skills around growing food with the youth and families who are you know, participating in our programs every year. You know, that worked really beautifully in Quay with our seasonal programs for a number of years. And what really moved it into the community for us, and you know, especially for me personally, was actually the Nathan Eastery oil spill. The Nathan E. Stewart ran aground in 2016 in Gale Pass, spilling more than 100,000 litres of diesel onto the clam beds and beaches that have been a breadbasket for Haltzik people since time immemorial. The devastating spill triggered a legal challenge that, in part, seeks to assert Aboriginal title to the foreshore and seabed in the Gale Pass area. Though the disaster caused waves of trauma throughout Haltza community, it also had some surprising side effects. Um, I was the incident commander for you know, a large portion of the emergency phase, and that was such a devastating event for the entire community on every conceivable level. And I know for myself, um, I came out the other side of that emergency phase with you know, a PTSD diagnosis, really struggling to reintegrate back into normal life, um, asking myself so many difficult questions about whether there was more that I could have done, uh, how I could possibly have mitigated that just horrific situation. And as I really struggled with my mental health uh, in the months following that, what pulled me out of it was gardening. You know, I, I knew about myself that I feel happiest and healthiest when I'm outside. And, um, you know, our office is really central in Bella Bella, and we were across the street from an empty um, lot. 
had the remnants of a foundation of an old building. And so we got permission to turn that space into a community garden. And, you know, for me personally, on, on my journey to regain control of my mental health, um, it was really important hands-on work for me um, that got me through some really difficult days. And, you know, at that point in my life, I really needed that clear, linear success measure of, you know, you, you cut the lumber, you build a box, you fill it with soil, you plant a seed, you tend that space, you grow something, you feed it to somebody. Like, I, I needed that basic level of clarity and stability that I was still capable of doing good work. That's what really brought it into the community and that's what motivated me to be part of creating that space. And knowing that there were so many other people in the community who were suffering in their own ways in the aftermath of the spill, um, you know, I think we really wanted to create a, a beautiful and peaceful space that honored um, all of our responders in that oil spill, um, a place where they could go and just feel a sense of calm. And so while we are, are growing a lot of vegetables there, we also plant lots of really beautiful aromatic herbs and flowers and you know, try to make it a really beautiful gathering space um, because we just wanted to bring a little bit of peace and positivity into the community in a really difficult time. You know, recognizing that growing carrots and beets is never going to replace you know, the dozens of marine and intertidal species that we lost our relationship with when the oil spill happened. Uh, but you know, feeling like, giving people a sense of agency when it comes to food security again, even in just a small symbolic way, uh, was important work at that time. And so that's what led to the creation of our community garden space in Bella Bella. Um, that happened in 2017 after the spill, and we paired that with uh, workshops in partnership with our health center and our youth center and you know other folks in the community um, where we engaged a couple dozen families usually over the course of a year in gardening workshops um, on all sorts of different topics uh, there was always like a you know a general level of interest and people really appreciated the food that we grew in the community garden and gave away but things really changed with covid <laughs> we had a funny moment in you know actually about this time last year where you know we have really poor soil on the island in most places and so often we bring in a couple of pallets of soil every year to sort of top up the garden and there was like, like a clerical error with our order and instead of two pallets we got four pallets of soil and I remember thinking to myself oh my god what am I ever going to do with four pallets of soil um, by the end of the growing season we'd gone through about 20 pallets of soil <laughs> in that really terrifying time where there was you know so little information and so much uncertainty and people were sheltering in their homes feeling incredibly isolated um you know again for me like so much of that initial emergency response to covid felt like the emergency response to the oil spill i actually like i had profound setbacks in terms of my mental health in the early stages of the pandemic because it just felt so much like that same chaos and uncertainty and, and lack of control you 
looking at all of the things that our organization couldn't do because most of our programs are very family and group oriented and land-based and like intimate and about togetherness we couldn't do any of those things that we're really good at that we've been doing for 22 years uh, people were struggling they needed support and connectivity more than ever before it felt like there was so little we could offer um, but we had seeds and we had soil That was our focus for 2020. You know, we have a pretty amazing crew that's engaged right now in the construction of a remote wellness center. Um, and there were points when I was concerned I was going to have to lay off my crew because I couldn't safely have a crew that size all working together um, under COVID protocols. And actually, you know, being in a position to have people work from home and do lumber drops to people's houses so that my crew could keep working, building garden boxes for us to give away, that got us through some tough times in terms of managing staffing arrangements so that we could get through 2020 without laying people off. Um, we managed to get soil into the community. We had some really beautiful donations of seeds and purchased some seeds and just tried to do everything we could to set people up to grow food at home. Being able to offer those resources and support at a time when people were feeling really critically lonely was an important thing. And I'm, I'm proud of how we managed to show up at that time. And you know, by the end of 2020, um, we had supported more than 100 households in Bella Bella to grow some portion of their own food. That was over 100 households who received planter boxes and soil and seeds. We, um, we built a greenhouse so that we could mass start seeds to give away started plants to people because we couldn't run in-person workshops. Um, we created social media channels. If you look hard enough, there is a series of just ridiculous gardening tutorials featuring me, a person who actually doesn't know that much about gardening, just trying to engage people. It was really beautiful to see the uptake and like how many people participated, including lots of people that I never would have expected to be interested in gardening. You know, a, a question would be posed in, in that Facebook group, for example, and there would be 10 people answering it before I even saw it. And so at a time when we couldn't physically gather together, uh, there was this really amazing digital sense of community that we managed to, to take advantage of. also really fortunate that we could broadcast some of those little gardening tutorials on Helsic Radio for people who weren't on social media and engage people that way. So, you know, there was little FM tutorials of, um, you know, us just trying to help people stay engaged with gardening. And it was a blast. Okay, everyone, thank you for sharing your beautiful garden pictures. I am going to do the draw for this monster zucchini. I have all of your names in this cup, one for each picture that you shared, and the winner is Desiree. I had a lot of people in the early days compare it to the concept of victory gardening, and I think that victory gardens are incredible, and I love the idea of elevating the act of growing food into something greater, but for me, you know, the idea of a victory garden just felt very imperialistic, I guess. And so, you know, for us, by choosing to call this 
granny gardens, you know, we really wanted to invite people to connect to that ancestral resilience of, of the people, you know, particularly the women, who maintained that really incredible knowledge of, of plant systems that helped our people to thrive through some very difficult times. Being able to frame it as, you know, an action that gives you strength, that's connecting you to your ancestors, that is about reclaiming ancestral knowledge and ancestral practices, and about your right to be well as a healthy person. Um, I think all of that was really important uh, and really fundamental to the success of that program. If we can get two-thirds of households in our community um, growing some portion of their own food, I think you know, we will have accomplished really great things. You are listening to Raven Debriefs. Share, follow, and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We've just launched a program called Granny's Kitchen, focused on giving away hampers of groceries to people. But we have visions for expanding it into something much greater. Um, we want it to be a space where we can be employing out-of-work harvesters to go out and, and harvest ancestral resources that we can give away to people. And it ties into the gardening program and the granny gardens in the sense that, you know, as we're giving away seeds and other supplies this year, we want to be really intentionally inviting people who are growing food at home to plant more than they need and tend more than they need so that they can be donating that back for us to redistribute through the Granny's Kitchen program. So I'm really hopeful that, that we'll actually see a lot more mutual aid in the community in the form of sharing and redistributing food that we're growing. When I think about the values that underlie our practices with this work, one of the things that's really important to me is you know, instilling in our community members that they have a right to be well and they have a right to thrive and having access to healthy food can be a big part of that. Um, not just in the sense that nourishing your body with healthy food is important, but the act of being out in the fresh air with your hands in the soil is good for you, it's good for your mental, emotional, spiritual well-being, it's providing social connectivity, it's just a good thing to participate in. And you know, so for me it, it really feeds into that bigger piece of our, our people deserve to thrive and to thrive through their own strength. And so I think reclaiming some of the control of our food systems can be a really big part of that. So I think aligning our food economy with our, our stewardship values and the way that we carry ourselves in the world as health sick people is really important work as well. And you know, I recognize there are many systems and many ways that community members are you know, oppressed for reasons beyond their control, um, often you know, through poverty and you know, socioeconomic challenges that make it really difficult to have the purchasing power um, to, to buy better food that is less harmful to themselves and the environment. Um, I can't fix that, but I can help people grow food here that is more aligned with who we are as healthy people. To 
Today's show features Jess Hosty, Executive Director of Cux Society, from her home in Bella Bella, BC. The show was produced by Andrea Palferman with music by Indigenous Electronica Trio Oka. I'm your host, Susan Smitten. Find out more about Raven's work providing access to justice for nations like Heiltsuk at our website, raventrust.com. 